You're listening to the podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. In the conversation about what it means to be a disciple, we need to talk about whether or not we're inviting people to meet Jesus. The word that is used in the church is evangelism, which derives from the Greek word for good news. Are we inviting people to meet Jesus? Today we look at a woman who gave a simple testimony of what Jesus told her and how her simple invitation resulted in the transformed lives of those who she told. You think about the last time that you were invited to something or somewhere and you think about like what it felt like for you to be invited what were you feeling inside were you excited were you looking forward to what it is that you're excited to I I remember one of the first birthday parties that I was invited to as a four-year-old this little girl in my preschool class named Stephanie had invited me over and so I felt like a million bucks because I was invited to this little girl's party and uh, I, I remember w- during the party you know she was taking dance lessons for you know whatever that means for a four-year-old. Some of you might be able to explain that to me, but um, she grabbed me and pulled me up, and I was just standing there while she did some little thing, and of course, I thought that was the greatest thing since sliced bread because I was up on a stage at four years old in front of all these people that I didn't know, but, you know, when you're four years old, it's amazing the things that you get excited about when it comes to being invited into something right? Like you're excited just because you feel like, hey, I'm one of the cool kids. And then you get a little older and it feels even more like that. Middle school's like that. And you're wondering if you're going to get that invite into something. And then at some point, hopefully, we start asking ourselves, like, what does it mean to be invited to something? And, and is there significance? I think at some point there was a, a moment in my life that I realized um, it didn't matter so much whether I was part of the cool club's crowd or not to be invited into something. But the question that I asked myself was, am I being invited into something more significant? Am I invited into something that's like bigger than myself that I, I get to be a part of? And is it something special? Is it something long-lasting? And is it even something transcendent, something that extends beyond time and place? You know, invitations matter to people. How many opportunities, I wonder, are missed because people feel like, hey, nobody ever extended an invitation to me. Nobody ever said, hey, would you come along? Would you come with me into something? And I wonder how many people are sitting home by themselves alone because no one actually took the time to extend an invitation to them. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this idea of what's a disciple of Jesus. And every week, just like Sesame Street, or we've got a, another letter that we're looking at. We started with D, and, and D stands for dying to selves. That each of us as disciples, we need to die to ourselves. Uh, the the second or the first I was investing others. Where are we investing our time, our talent, our resources into other people? And then spirit led. Are we really consulting the Holy Spirit before we make decisions. And then last week we looked at this idea of conforming to Christ or imitating Christ. Are we imitating in such a way that like Paul we can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
And then today we look at this idea of inviting others. And we're looking at a passage in the book of John today, a story that may be familiar to some of us. Um, it's fine if it's not, but um, instead of looking at the main part of the story, we're kind of looking at the aftermath in some ways of the story. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to John chapter 4. It'll be on the screen as well um, in the New International Version, just to, to give you, because a lot of people, when we talk about this story, we talk about Jesus meeting this woman at the well, and they focus on that part. And like I said, we're going to talk about the aftermath of that, but I want to at least give a little bit of context for those of you who aren't familiar with the story. Jesus goes, he's with his disciples, it's the middle of the day, he's thirsty, hungry, the disciples go off to eat, and Jesus goes to a well, and whereas you would expect that he would find no one there in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, he actually encounters this woman. Well, if there's a woman there in the middle of the day, chances are she was probably going because she didn't want to meet anybody. And yet she meets Jesus, and, and there Jesus meeting her where she is reveals so much about her life to the point that she thinks that he's a prophet. And and Jesus tells her some things about her life to the point that she was just amazed at who this man is that she's met. And we pick up the story when the disciples are coming back when they encounter Jesus. And so uh, in verse 27 of John chapter 4, we read this. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you've reaped the benefit of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Now, Jesus met this woman at a time that you wouldn't expect to meet somebody in the middle of the day. And instead of just saying, hey, you know, get me water and, and leaving the conversation there, he engaged with her. And so she felt seen by Jesus. Here this man who was a Jew and she was a Samaritan, so there were cultural issues between Jesus and this woman. And Jesus knocked down all these barriers, the gender barriers, the cultural barriers, and he went right in and had a conversation with this woman. And all of a sudden, this woman, who had probably been overlooked by so many people, which is why she was going in the middle of the day, because she felt like, everyone overlooks me anyway, so I might as well go when people aren't even going to see me. 
Jesus sees her, and he speaks into her life, not in a condemning way, but in a being seen way. You know, people who are on the margins, people who are kind of out there, who are just waiting for someone to acknowledge them, to see them. And I wonder if we do what Jesus did and, and we see them. Not just like seeing them and like handing them a dollar or whatever, but like really seeing them and engaging. That's what Jesus did. And she's compelled because Jesus looks beyond her past. He looks beyond ignoring her. And Jesus um, sees her. And because of this interaction that she has with Jesus, her, her life is changed. And she's, she goes and then invites other people to meet Jesus. The thing is, Jesus is, yeah, he's just doing something normal. He's getting a drink of water. And I wonder if we take advantage of the moments and the places that God puts us. Are we aware of the opportunities that are right in front of us? Sometimes we get this thing in our head that, hey, I need to make sure that I have the perfect situation, that I have the perfect words, and that everything's perfect so that when God puts somebody in front of me, I know just what to say. And yet, here Jesus is in the most mundane of all places. It's the watering hole, right? Like for us today, if there's a, a water cooler at our works, that's where we would be. And Jesus goes there. But you see, in order to invite people, we need to see them and we need to be with them. We need to be where people are because we can't invite people that we don't know. If we don't interact with other people, if we're not spending time in places where other people are, then what opportunities will we have to invite people? People. You know, we live in a day and age of, of technology, and it's so much easier to just send a text or to send an email to somebody, to have some kind of digital communication to invite somebody. But there is nothing like an embodied invitation. There is nothing like standing face-to-face -face with somebody and saying, hey, I would love for you to be a part of this. I would love for you to come have lunch with me. I would love for you to fill in the blank, whatever. I think that's one of the things that our, our world has felt the, the gap in over the last year and a half plus is that we haven't had those embodied opportunities to be face-to-face -face with one another. But when we engage people face-to-face, -face, everything, including our invitations, can be that much more effective. You know, Jesus' disciples had gone to buy food. They, they come back, and, and Jesus starts doing what he did so often within the Gospels. He starts talking to them, and they're confused. I mean, I feel so much better about myself when I read stories about the disciples because I'm like, okay, like I'm not the only one who doesn't get it. The disciples didn't either. And so he starts telling them about the, that his food is to do the will of the Father, and they, they're like, okay, so does that mean that somebody brought him food? Or, or did we miss the boat? Were we too late? And, and then Jesus has to explain a little bit more. You know, they don't they don't say some of the things that they're all thinking, like, why are you talking to this woman? Why are you here? They, they instead get caught up in this whole idea of, like, what happened to the food? Like, did we just waste all of our money to bring him food? He doesn't need it. 
And I wonder how often we get caught up in the work and forget about the kingdom work that God's called us to. It can, and we see stories within the Bible. We see, see stories in the Gospels. One of the greatest, most well-known ones is with Mary and her sister Martha. And one of them is all about hanging out with Jesus. And one of them is all about getting all the things prepared and making sure that everything's perfect. I, I think sometimes we get into this, this place where we think that we need to make sure that we're getting everything done and we miss the kingdom opportunities that God puts right in front of us. We think that we can only have kingdom opportunities in certain places at certain times, but our, our faith can't be compartmentalized like that. There's not a difference between opportunities and work before us and kingdom work before us. The two aren't mutually exclusive. We can be about our work every day as mothers, as fathers, as workers, as teachers, all these things, we can be about all that and also be about God's kingdom work at the same time. We don't have to separate them. And I think this story is a prime example of it. Jesus, like I said, was just doing something normal like getting a drink of water, but he was aware of what was happening. He was aware of this woman who desperately needed to hear that she can be forgiven that she could find new life in Christ. And I wonder how many times I've missed opportunities because I've been so fixated and so focused on the task in front of me. People give me a hard time all the time. I mean, my friend Leslie does it all the time um, because there are times that I can get so fixated on what's right in front of me and I walk past people and people are like, Hey, over here. This just happened to me a couple weeks ago. I was at a, a meeting down in North Carolina with some members of, of the, uh, the network of churches that we're a part of. And there's this woman who, she's from New England too, so I should have a special place in my heart for her, but she's like this tall. And I was just walking, and she was trying to get my attention, and my eyes were just not even seeing her. And so she came up to me later. She's like, you know, John, I was trying to get your attention, and I was over here. I'm not offended, but, and usually when someone says I'm not offended, they really are, but they're telling you that they're not offended to make you feel better. And so, so there I am walking right past her, and I said, oh, Karen, I'm so sorry that I did that. Like, I don't have the gift of focus, so if I have something I need to do, if I don't stay, like, fixated on it, I get lost. And all of a sudden, oh, I'm talking to this person, talking to this person, and then I'm like, oh, what was I supposed to be doing? Because I totally forgot. And I wonder how many times we miss those people that are along the way, that are all around us. We miss these opportunities that God's put right in front of us because we're fixated on something else. You know, in the long run, that something else may not really matter. But that person that's been overlooked before, that person that's along the way that needs to be seen, that needs to be noticed, we need to see them and take the time and let those other things wait. And Jesus tells his disciples to open their eyes because the fields are ripe for harvest. You know, one of the things that I love is avocados. I love to eat avocados on avocado toast. I'll make guacamole. I'll do, uh, you know, sometimes I'll just eat the avocado straight up with, with a little bit of salt. But like one of the most frustrating things is trying to figure out when is this avocado going to be ripe, 
right? Like, I wish that I had some kind of like magic eye to be able to see into the heart of the avocado because there are times that I'm like squeezing it. No, it's not ripe enough. And then I feel it. It's just soft enough. I put it in the refrigerator, take it out a day later, and it's all like nasty and brown inside. And I'm like, I missed it. That little window, I missed it. And I think like avo- people are like avocados in some way, at least from our perspective, that we look at them and we think that there's only this one little opportunity for their ripeness, for their readiness, for us to, to harvest them and, and speak about the hope of Jesus Christ that we have within us. And we think that if, if we don't get it right there on the mark, that something, you know, we're going to do some damage to them. And we forget that the Holy Spirit is at work. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that we need to be led by the Holy Spirit to know, hey, here's when I go in, here's when I have a conversation, here's when I share some of these things. But Jesus said that that the harvest is ripe. And we need to make sure that in seeking to the people around us, where the harvest is ripe in them, that we're also leaning into the Holy Spirit. We're, we're pressing in and saying, hey, it's not up to me. God will show me. God will give me the wisdom to know what kind of a conversation to have with someone. If we look through the Bible, we can see so many instances of people who are ripe for harvest, and the Holy Spirit was the one who led the other person to that conversation. If you look and read through the book of Acts, you can see this happen over and over and over again, where there was somebody who was just ready for that conversation, and God brought somebody along to have that conversation with them, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, our reliance on the Holy Spirit, it needs to extend to the conversations that we have with those who have yet to meet Jesus Christ those people who are just ready and ripe for that conversation, we need to lean into the Holy Spirit's guidance for us in that process. This woman, she goes immediately back to her town. The funny thing is, you know, the details in this story, what did she forget at the well? She forgot the thing that she went there to begin with, right? Like she leaves her water jar there. The whole point of her going to the well in the middle of the day was that she wouldn't talk to anybody and she'd get water, and she left that. In the middle of this conversation with Jesus, she leaves her water jar and she goes back and invites people because you know what? Invited people invite people. Just as this woman was invited to drink of the living water that Jesus offered, so this woman invited others to come and experience the life change that she was experiencing. When we take the time to invite people into the story of God, they're changed by that, even to the point of losing track of what they thought was important to begin with. This woman thought that the reason she had come to this well was to get water, and yet the real reason that she was brought there was so that her life could collide and her story could collide with the story of God. And there she meets Jesus. The woman at the well's invitation to the people around her wasn't complex. It wasn't like a well-rehearsed speech. 
It wasn't this whole list of things. She didn't memorize like a thousand Bible verses and say, hey, let me make sure that I've got this all right. What did she say? She said, come meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. (laughs) And everybody knew everything she had ever done. It's a small town, right? People talk. Like, so they all knew what she was talking about. Like, you just met a man who told you all that? Ooh, we got to go see him. Are we inviting people into that? Into that place with a simple invitation? There's a man named Charles Vogel who wrote a book called The Art of Community, and in it he said this. He said, we often make invitations more challenging than they need to be because we fear that others will either reject us or simply dismiss our authority. And we see in verse 39 that this woman's invitation was compelling because all the people that she went and told, all the other Samaritans who she told, they believed. You know, one of the most compelling reasons for someone to accept our invitation to meet Jesus is seeing the difference that Jesus has made in us. And so if we can't give a compelling reason to people, then we've got to ask ourselves, has Jesus really made a difference in me? That when I tell other people, hey, come meet a man that's changed my life. Come meet a man that told me everything I've done. Come meet a man that has made me look at things different. Are we really thinking about that? If there's no difference that Jesus makes in our lives, why would someone accept our invitation to meet someone who has made no difference to us at all? Another question we have to ask ourselves is what are we inviting people to? You know, are we inviting people to programs and events? Are we inviting them to be part of something bigger than they are? Are we inviting them into the life-changing power of Jesus? You know, hey, I, I would love it for people to invite people to the branch, but that's not what it's about for me. Like, it's about inviting people to come and meet Jesus. Because the branch isn't about me. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And we shouldn't be, yes, there's opportunities for us with events and programs and Bible studies and things like that. Those are important things. Those are important medium, but they're not the ends. Jesus is the end. And if we're not inviting people to come meet Jesus, because I'm not going to change someone's life. A program's not going to change someone's life. An event's not going to change. My sermon's not going to change somebody's life. Only God's going to change the life of somebody. And so are we inviting people into something bigger than themselves? Not just events or programs or sermons or songs, but the life-changing power of Jesus. I think that if, if our desire is to just grow the branch, then we've got a wrong desire. Our desire needs to be to grow the kingdom of God and to let people know that, hey, let me introduce you to somebody who changed my life, who's shown me what I need. You know, some of us are familiar with um, the story of the little prince I don't speak French, so I didn't read it in French. But um, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, who uh, was the author of that, he has this great quote, and he said, if you want to build a ship, you don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. 
And I thought to myself when I read that quote this week, I thought, are we inviting people to be part of something so much bigger than themselves? Or are we simply inviting people to be part of shipbuilding or gathering wood? Are we teaching them to long and yearn for something as vast and endless as God, the creator of the universe, the one who put this all together? Are we looking to invite people to know Jesus Christ? Or are we just saying, hey, go stack some wood, go gather some goods together and build a boat? I hope and I pray that we as a community of faith would be about showing people something that's so much greater than them, so much greater than building boats or or collecting wood or, or doing other things. But we're having a life that's been impacted by Jesus Christ. At the end of this passage, those people who are invited by this woman to hear Jesus have come And verse 42 to me is a stunning statement of what happened to them. Because all these people, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You see, the invitation is a small piece along the way. And even though we make ourselves bigger than we are, we make the invitation bigger than it is, like it's one step along the way. And God has already put all these pieces together in such a way that when people have that invitation and then they experience Jesus and they hear for themselves who he is, then their life has changed. And they say, this man really is the Savior of the world. Our invitation isn't to sit down and make sure that we get someone to pray a prayer or that we make sure that, you know, we we seal the deal with them. Our invitation is to invite people to Jesus. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be all well-practiced and made sure that everything works. Lord knows I stumble with my words all the time. But it's an easy invitation to say, hey, let me tell you about how Jesus took someone like me and changed me and made me who I am, still far from perfect, but yet moving towards it every day. They were convinced that Jesus truly was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. Are we trying to shoulder the load of invitation all by ourselves? Or are we relying on the Holy Spirit and simply being obedient to what's right before us? All the opportunities that God, God has placed around us. The harvest is ripe. Are we ready to join the mission and invite people to Jesus? So what do we do with all this? Three questions to ask ourselves. First is this. Where are we engaging people? And we're going to talk about this in a few weeks. But um, are we actually spending time in places with people who have yet to meet Jesus? Or are we finding ourselves always surrounded by people who are like-minded and and who uh, have already understood and been changed by Jesus? Hey, it's important for us to spend time with people who are like that, but we also need to make sure that we're interacting regularly with people who haven't yet met Jesus. And then the second question is this. What are we inviting people to? 
You know, are we inviting people to something bigger than themselves? Are we just inviting them to programs or events or, or worship services or whatever? Our invitation needs to be to something bigger. And then finally, how compelling is your life? How compelling is my life? If my invitation isn't compelling, one of the first questions I have to ask myself is, has Jesus made a compelling difference in my life? And if he hasn't, then I have to say, why? You know, why hasn't, uh, haven't I seen that in my life? Have I really given him everything that I need? Or have I really given myself over to him to make the changes in me that he needs to make? Let me pray for us. God, thanks. Thanks for the way that you work in us, what you call us to. Thank you for the invitation to meet your son Jesus who changes our life. I pray, God, that, that you would help us to be confident not in who we are, not in, in our words, but, God, in what you've called us to and the change you've made in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us as we invite people to meet you. May we constantly reflect on our lives to see what change you've made in us and then invite people to that, knowing that some people might not find that compelling, but others, it may be just the thing that they've been looking for, just the thing that they've been waiting for, and all they've needed was an invitation. And so God, use us in the places you have us, in every moment, in every step, in every minute of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we inviting people to programs and events? Are we inviting them to be part of something bigger than themselves? Are we inviting them into the life-changing power of Jesus? The harvest is ripe. Are our eyes open to see it and to be used by God to reap the harvest that he's prepared for us? How can God use you this week to make a difference in the lives of the people he puts around you? Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at thebranchashland at gmail.com. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.